Well, guys, we are going to cover the one that we did not get time to cover the last session and uh, of the elementary teachings, and that is the resurrection of the dead. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, again, same verses, but just uh, kind of taking another elementary teaching. It says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Acts 23, verse 6. We're going to focus on this resurrection of the dead. It says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now, the background here is Paul has been taken into custody. He's been arrested, and he goes before governors here, and he is addressing the crowd, and he notices that there are two main Jewish religious sects there, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what he does, which is just extremely wise uh, and brilliant here, is he pits them against one another over one of these elementary teachings the teachings of the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul has been arrested, and to get uh, hopefully some, uh, I guess, to be freed, he's hoping. They have no charge really against him, but he says concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. Well, the Sadducees, you see, did not believe in the resurrection. It goes on here, and it tells us that. We'll show you some other information in a moment. But it says in Scripture, verse 8, For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both, both the resurrection and angels and spirits, you see. Verse 9 says, Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisee, scribes of the Pharisee party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So now you see the Pharisees, okay, yeah, we can side with Paul here. You know, even though we do have an issue with him, uh, we're not going to let the Sadducees think that, you know, they're right. And so they bring up both of these things. He says, you know, the spirit, we find no evil in him. If a spirit or an angel, again, who the... Um, uh, Sadducees would have rejected. He says, let's not fight against God. Verse 10 says, now when there arose a great dissension because of this statement, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So, Paul's defense, okay, his whole defense is a principle that is called an elementary teaching, and that is the resurrection. And this elementary teaching yet is so important that war breaks out among the church of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, over this very thing. So I use that word church loosely there. Let me show you here Josephus. He is a historian, and he gives us some insight here into the doctrine of the Pharisees. He says, the doctrine of the Pharisees is this, that the soul dies with the bodies 
or I'm sorry, he says that souls die with the bodies, nor do they regard the observation of anything besides what the law enjoins them. In other words, when you die, your soul dies too. Really, there's nothingness. Josephus dedicated his life to studying or talking about these three main Jewish groups. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which I mentioned, and there was a third group called the Essenes, which we're not going to get into right now. But he's recording you know, exactly what these Sadducees believed. And what we're seeing is the very identity of these religious sects revolved around what they believed about the resurrection. And the Sadducees denied it. They denied the resurrection, and they, but at the same time, were, were pro-Torah. They were pro, uh, you know, Old Testament. So <clears throat> we see here the Pharisees were the opposite. And the Babylonian Talmud, uh, which is really going to show you what the Pharisees followed, shows that the resurrection was a vital part of the very identity of being a Jew and a Pharisee. In fact, they're going to say that if you deny the resurrection, you will not even get to heaven. Here's what it says uh, in, the, in the heading of, the, these have no share in the world to come. Who doesn't have any share in the world to come? It says, one who says that the Torah is not from heaven. One who designate, or denigrates the Torah. One who says that the resurrection of the dead is not from the Torah. That's exactly what the Sadducees were saying. So you have to understand that the Pharisees believed that the Sadducees were going to hell because they said that the resurrection of the dead is not taught in Torah. But yet they accepted the Torah. Okay? And yet this, what seems to be such a huge foundation and vital part of the so-called church of the day is an elementary principle. Here in the Babylonian Talmud again, on the heading of how on the basis of the Torah do we find evidence for the resurrection of the dead? It says in there, as it is said, let Reuben live and not die, Deuteronomy 33, verse 6. Let Reuben live in this world and not die in the world to come. Now there's obviously more in there, but in essence, this is the proof of the resurrection that they use, Deuteronomy 33, verse 6. I think there's much greater evidences in Job and, and elsewhere, but this is one of the evidences. But what I want you to see is that this is how they support the resurrection from the Torah. This blessing that was being given to Reuben at this time, Moses basically, they are about to enter the promised land and Moses is blessing the people. Well, the thing is, is Reuben is already dead. And so this blessing is deeper than just the physical itself and blessing his descendants. This is just one of the many examples, though, that they're giving. You could look at jo uh, Joseph going in. He, he made them swear, take my body into the promised land because I know that God is going to be faithful to his promises. Okay? And so he, his body wanted to be, he wanted his body to be there for the resurrection in the, in the holy promised land. But anyway, um, this is speaking. They're saying Reuben's already dead, and yet he's going to live. So he's, there's a resurrection. Uh, among Judaism, they have one of the, probably one of the most important prayers is called the Amidah. 
the Amidah prayer. And it, it comes from Psalm 55, and they say this prayer every morning, every noon, every night, all the way back to the time of Jesus, they have been doing this. And here's what the prayer says. Speaking of God, you are mighty forever. You revive the dead. You have the power to save. You sustain the living with the loving kindness. You revive the dead with great mercy. And you support the falling heads, uh, failing heads, the sick, the set free, the captives, and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, O doer of mighty acts? Who resembles you, O king, who puts to death and restores to life and causes salvation to flourish? And you are certain to revive the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who revives the dead. See a theme here? <laughs> Perhaps reviving the dead? Keeping faith with those who sleep in the dust? The resurrection is a, a key part of one of their key prayers. Even Rambam, uh, a famous Jewish uh, rabbi, uh, sometimes called Nimonides, uh from the 1100s and, and very early 1200s, he laid out 13 principal foundations of the Jewish faith. And you can see, you know, things like God exists. God is one and unique. God is eternal. Things like that. But notice number 13, the dead will be resurrected. It is one of their very foundations of their faith. So to be a Jew, you, you really have to believe in this. Now, it's no different for Christianity. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that here in a moment. But I just wanted to show you, uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is, is quite an important truth. And yet, Hebrews is saying this is elementary. In Matthew 22, verse 23, it says, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that in a, if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, raise up offspring for his brother. Now there, there were seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. In other words, they're trying to trick Jesus here, they think, because they're saying, listen, we know there's no resurrection. And so here's this guy, he's, uh, or this gal, she's been married seven times. Who's she going to be married to in the, in the resurrection? Huh? You know, kind of being real tricky, they think. Well, Jesus, obviously, this isn't even a challenge. Uh, Jesus has this confrontation with the Sadducees, but it is specifically about the resurrection. But note that they take Jesus, Yeshua, to the Torah. Okay? Uh, Moses said, okay, in Matthew 22, continuing in verse 29, here's Jesus' answer to them. You're mistaken, not knowing the scripture nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, 
saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. In other words, he's saying, I am the God of Abraham, not I was the God, because now Abraham's dead. He's saying, Abraham is still alive, and I'm still his God. And he calls them out publicly, saying, you're mistaken. You don't know the scriptures, nor the power of God. Unless they, you know, misunderstand he even says, for in the resurrection, there will neither be marriage nor be given in marriage. In other words, saying, yeah, there's a resurrection. So Jesus clearly supported this elementary teaching. As a matter of fact, you can go to Israel today and go to the tomb of the patriarchs. It's one of the most visited sites of all Israel because they are believing in the resurrection. And they know that these patriarchs are going to rise. The devil spends a lot of resource, a lot of time, a lot of his energy trying to destroy this truth of the resurrection. Not just today, but all the way back then as we see this battle between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But let me show you that today it is considered as a, just as important as it was back in Jesus' day. 1 Corinthians 15.12 says this, If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But, speaking of Sadducees, verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. In other words, the deception of the Sadducees was so powerful that if that was not true, or if it was true, then Jesus is not. Can you see why maybe the devil would like to destroy this, this uh, important truth? Yeah. He knows that without the truth of the resurrection, Jesus is not true. And this is why he wants to destroy this doctrine, and yet it's an elementary truth. See, elementary doesn't mean not important. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even David said that his faith would have failed had he not believed in the resurrection. Me too. If I didn't believe in the resurrection, I'd have nothing to live for. Guys, this is the very thing that gives us hope. It's the very thing that Christianity is built upon, our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Even there we see in the Old Testament a, a resurrection that was going to take place. 2 Timothy 2 verse 16 says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Again, we see that our faith is in vain if the resurrection isn't true, and here he's saying these guys have said the resurrection is already past, and it is overthrowing faith of some people. See, Paul is warning that these false doctrines are a cancer. This is why the devil is not going to leave this alone. He, he, 
the devil went from it doesn't exist with the Pharisees to now these false you know, teachers saying, you missed it. Kind of sounds like the Jehovah Witnesses, doesn't it? You know, there are 144,000 that have already been taken and so on. You see, we need to protect this elementary teaching. There's no question. Elementary doesn't mean it's not important. It's foundational. But we have to understand, we should be so firm in our faith, we know this elementary teaching to be true. Now let's move on. But the church doesn't seem to be able to do that. Well, we're going to talk about this resurrection, but to understand this, we need to go back to Genesis. You see, when we see that when God created man, he created him out of the dust of the earth. But where does the dust of the earth meet, you know, the soul, the life? Well, in Genesis 2, 7, it says this, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So where does life really come from? From God. You see, without God breathing life into us, giving us that spirit, giving us that soul, that living being, there, it was just a physical body with nothingness. You might say you were dead because you had no life without God. So does it not stand to reason that if God gives life, God's the one that takes it away. If the body has no life, or I should say, you know, there is no life without the soul, the spirit in that body, that you're dead, that when God gives that dead body his spirit, his, his soul, it is alive when that is taken away is when you're dead. I know that sounds kind of simple and common sense, but I, I want you to see this. In Genesis 3.19, it says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So what happens to the breath when we die? We see the body came out of the dust, so it returns back to the dust. Well, the spirit came from God, and so would it not stand to reason that it would go back to God, just like the dust goes back to the dust? You see, this is the, the circle of life right here. Dust you are, dust you shall return. But that's only the physical. Spirit you are, and spirit shall return to where it came as well. Ecclesiastes shows us this in chapter 12, verse 6. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well, all talking about the body dying. Verse 7, though, says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. You see, our spirit that God gave will return to God when this body dies or goes to sleep. What do I mean by going to sleep? Well, I'm going to get into something that might be a little controversial, and I'm just going to ask that you hear me out to the end to get a full understanding of it. But uh, there is something called soul sleep, sometimes it's called. I don't really like that term, soul sleep, because I'm not 100% convinced that that's what's going on. But nonetheless, the scriptures are very clear about what happens when we die, 
and even when uh, this is all supposed to take place. It is seen all throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at a number of these verses, and uh, we will discuss what they mean as we go. But like I said, be patient. Don't turn me off until you hear the end. And I think that this is going to take more than just one week to be able to cover this. But uh, keep in mind that these verses that I'm, we're going to read here are post-Jesus' resurrection, post-Jesus' ascending into heaven. Okay, it says in Acts 7, verse 59, They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So why doesn't he say, when he said this and he was killed, he went to be with Jesus? Instead, it says he fell asleep. John 11, verse 11, we see the same thing. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. In other words, Jesus is saying that he's kind of saying that sleep is death. So that when you die, what you're doing is you're sleeping. Now again, don't shut me off. We're, we're going to talk about this. But he goes on in Luke 8, verse 49. I should say we go on. And we see another example of Jesus raising somebody from the dead. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to them, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, Do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. You see, what Jesus sees is different than what we see. Completely different. So I think we need to really talk about what does it mean to be sleeping? What does it mean to be dead? Well, Psalm 13, verse 3, uh, 13, 3 says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. The words death and sleep are used synonymously. But the question is, do we go to heaven to sleep? Where, where are we when we're sleeping? What's happening when we're sleeping? But clearly we're seeing the scriptures loaded with scriptures telling us this is what happens when we die. Job 14, verse 11. I love this. Uh, he saw the resurrection. But man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last, and where is he? Right there is the question that we want answered, isn't it? Where are you when you die? Verse 11, as water disappears from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. You see, Job may have just answered our question because he's giving us a timetable of when the resurrection happens. In verse 12, he says, You will not rise until the heavens are no more. Well, folks, are the heavens still there? 
Yeah. So you will not rise anymore. But we could say this is Old Testament. Is this consistent with the New Testament? Well, yes. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Even we see Paul saying that he doesn't want you to be unaware of what he's saying concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, this is very important for you to understand. Okay, he's basically building off of what we talked about with the resurrection of the dead, that without that we have no hope. He's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have fallen asleep and not believing in the resurrection. He says, there's a resurrection. Okay, and if you don't believe that, you may basically have no hope. So he's saying there is hope, there is a resurrection. In verse 14 he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe in that resurrection, even so, God will bring with him. In other words, when Jesus comes back, with him are going to be those who sleep in Jesus. Again, the word sleep is there. We're coming with him. But what does it mean to be asleep in Jesus? Well, guys, we can't deny the fact that the Bible says that we are going to sleep when we die. You're not going to heaven when you die right away. Remember, Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. In other words, heaven has not been made fully yet. He's preparing that. The gold streets and all of that, they're not there. That's going to come down out of heaven as we see in uh, the book of Revelation. So you are sleeping, but what happens when you sleep? Well, I don't think we're going to understand this fully because we only have a few scriptures to go off of. But I do know this. Paul said this, I desire to depart and be with the Lord. He didn't say I desire to depart and just go to sleep. He says I desire to depart and be with the Lord. Here we're seeing that those who sleep in Jesus. We also know, and I've talked about this in other sessions, that we have the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, which I don't think is a parable at all, but a true uh, historical event. I won't get into too many details outside of the fact and no parable does Jesus ever call somebody by their name. He says there once was a man, but here we see there was a man named Lazarus. And when he dies, he goes to Sheol, the place of the dead. And he goes to Abraham's bosom. It seems like there was a consciousness there. Because Lazarus isn't necessarily aware of the people in the lower parts of Sheol, but this rich man is certainly conscious and aware of the, um, uh, the people in the better part of Sheol. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all the details outside of I want you to understand this. There is consciousness there. Even the demons, when Jesus was casting them out of the pigs, you know, legion there, they said, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They were aware that there was going to be a torture. There is an appointed time for it, but there was going to be torture. That 
that there is some kind of consciousness within a spirit. You see, I don't think a spirit is unconscious. Our soul is not unconscious. Just like today when you go to sleep, your body is, in a sense, dead, but your spirit is very active. You're still dreaming, even though it may not be the reality. I believe that when we die, our soul is conscious, it, just like you were dreaming, except for in a reality, not unreality. It's reality. That you will be with Jesus, conscious of that, but your body is indeed asleep unaware of what's going on to it because you will not be reunited with that body and rise or resurrect with that body until the Lord returns. And when that happens, then our soul and body are reunited, made new, incorruptible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, if you're alive, you're not going to go and be with the Lord before those who are asleep. They're with the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? So those who are dead, the body, but their spirits are still there, still conscious. They're going to rise. They're going to be united. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. In other words, those who have died are going to rise first, and then we go meet them, if you're still alive, that is, the we. So people alive during the tribulation do not rise before Noah or before Adam or Abraham or all of them. We really rise together at the same time is probably the best way to say it. In Hebrews 11, verse 39, it says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You see all these right there in verse 39, and all these have obtained a good testimony, are those who died in the great faith chapter of chapter 11 there. Abraham, Rahab. Okay? They did not yet receive their promise. They, the promise has not been completely fulfilled yet, but it will be universal at one time. That's what it's saying, not apart from us. They should not be made perfect apart from us who are still alive. It will be at the same time we will receive this reward of the uniting of our, reuniting of our spirit and body. Job 14, verse 13, going back there. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. I love that. Okay, He says that God is going to hide us, that we will not see his wrath, but God is going to remember us. Numbers 10.9, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, 
and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. So even the trumpet blast, there was a, 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 a prophetic picture here that was being shown, that when you blow the trumpets, that's when God is going to remember you and save you. Well, it's at that blast of the trumpet that we're going to see at the end time, the seventh trumpet in Revelation, we see that God remembers and saves us as well. Job 14.14 14 says, If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Even Job realized that there would be a resurrection, a physical resurrection. He says, yeah, I'm going to live again. I'm going to have to wait. But when that day comes, when the Lord returns, there is going to be a change in me, a change in my body. This is what we read about in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When? Well, just like we just saw before, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You know, it's interesting. We can go and see this last trump trumpet in Revelation chapter 11. And when it blows, guess what it says? It says, the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of our God. And the time to reward his saints has come. The scripture is consistent. At the last trumpet, this is supposed to happen. We go to the last trumpet, and we see that the time to reward his saints does come. So here again, the when of this happening is answered at the trumpet, the last trumpet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There will never be any more death of the body ever again. Well, to close out here, just a few more verses here. Again, in Job 14, verse 15, he says, You shall call, and I will answer. You shall desire the work of your hands. God is the eye here. See, John 5, verse 28, says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. This is what Job was talking about. You shall call, and I will answer. You see, God was going to call. Job is going to answer. In John, we're seeing that people are going to hear his voice. Hear his voice what? Calling. And it goes on, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In other words, there is a resurrection of the godly and the ungodly. One's going to be rewarded. The other is going to be punished. Just like when we die, we are not going to heaven yet, but we sleep, but we're conscious of something. We're conscious of being with Jesus. The ungodly, when they die, they don't go to hell right away, but they're conscious of some sort of torment, just like we see in Lazarus and the rich man. So you might say, for lack of a better way to describe it, some of us are having great dreams and some of us are having nightmares that never end and only get worse or that never end and only get better in our case. Daniel 12 verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Okay, because we're sleeping. 
some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So not only is the when answered here again, we're seeing that I know that many are challenged by this, but we are clearly seeing you're not going to heaven and you're not going to hell right away when you die. But that doesn't lessen the fact that there isn't peace or there isn't torment. And like I said, when we're dreaming today, it is really not true. It, it is not reality. But I believe that when we die and we are, our bodies are sleeping, our spirit is very conscious of the reality of being with Jesus at that time. Or for the ungodly, the reality of torture the reality of being apart from him, the reality of knowing that they missed it and that there is a torment that is even greater coming. So we can have hope even though we sleep until the Lord returns. Well, we're going to talk more about this in weeks to come because this is too big of a topic to really just stop here, and we need to get a little bit more in the evidence of this resurrection. So uh, for now, we'll stop with that and talk more about that resurrection. But in the meantime, remember, because Jesus lives, we live. And that if, our, uh, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, our hope, our faith is in vain. Thank you, Jesus, that it is not in vain, and that you have resurrected, and that we will as well.